The opinions expressed in the following episode do not necessarily reflect those of the Minds of Madness podcast. Listener discretion is advised. In 2017, Valerie McDaniel was a prominent veterinarian, running a successful practice while focusing much of her attention on raising her eight-year-old daughter. Although she'd recently left an unhappy marriage of 17 years, she quickly found herself falling in love with another man, a young charismatic doctor who had moved in next door, a romance that would lead Valerie down a dark and unforgiving path. Join me now as we take a look into the chilling case that highlights how dangerous blind love can be. We'll also shed a light on a relationship very much mired in selfishness and engulfed in manipulation. You'll also learn the details surrounding the cunning police work behind the scenes and how lives can be saved when law enforcement and the justice system successfully work together. On January 12, 1969, Valerie was born to parents Carol Ann and Don Busick in Houston, Texas. Her father, a licensed counselor, and her mother, a longtime psychiatrist, were always incredibly proud of their smart and well-rounded daughter. Growing up, Valerie and her younger sister Angela attended school in Houston. Valerie did so well academically that in her final year at Episcopal High School, she managed to graduate first in her class. Valerie wasn't always highly focused on her studies. She always made sure to make time for her friends. Those who grew to know and love Valerie affectionately called her Val and considered her to be a kind and compassionate human being. Someone who would brighten up her room just with her presence. Valerie later earned her undergraduate degree from the University of St. Thomas, going on to further her studies at Texas A&M University, formerly known as Texas Agricultural and Mechanical University. Since she was a child, Valerie always held a deep affection for animals and was a born natural around them. So it wasn't surprising when it later became Valerie's dream to be a vet a dream that would eventually come to fruition in 1997 after earning her degree in veterinarian medicine. As it turned out, 1997 became quite an eventful year for Valerie. Following her graduation from Texas A&M, Valerie became a newlywed only a few short months later. While attending university, Valerie had met and fallen in love with another student named Marion McDaniel. After proposing, the couple agreed to tie the knot later that year after they both graduated. According to Valerie, their August wedding was a beautiful fairy tale wedding. And after moving into a home her parents had bought for them, everything seemed perfect. Three years later, they started a veterinarian clinic in Montrose, Houston, and managed to build a pretty successful practice. The couple worked together, Valerie as the primary vet, while Mac managed the office, ensuring all the day-to-day -day details were taken care of and running smoothly. But regardless of how organized the clinic ran, 
It was Valerie's kind and compassionate treatment of animals that kept many of their clients loyal, going as far as to have her number on speed dial. In fact, Valerie was so gifted with animals, she could instinctively put any pet at ease, no matter what the circumstance. A skill that also came in handy when assisting distressed pet owners dealing with stressful situations. Valerie was so dedicated to the animals who came into her clinic that co-workers and friends noted she often worked well into the evenings and also made house calls. When a beloved pet had to be put down, Valerie always provided the much-needed comfort and support to the animal and the grieving family. If necessary, and when the time was right, Valerie would compassionately guide pet owners toward the extremely difficult decision to put their pet down. Her and Mac would even help with cremation arrangements as they had opened a crematorium adjacent to their practice. Over the years, the couple's dedication to their business paid off, granting them the ability to live a very comfortable lifestyle. Eventually, they moved into a stunning million-dollar home, with each of them driving luxury vehicles. About an hour's drive away from their Houston home, Valerie and Mac also purchased a $720,000 waterfront vacation home just near Galveston, Texas, on Tiki Island. It was their place to retreat after a stressful week at the office. To many, it would have seemed the couple had a wonderful life, but despite all their material possessions, there still remained a void for both Valerie and Mac. Unable to have children of their own, the couple longed for a family. In 2008, after being married for over 10 years, Valerie and Mac successfully adopted a baby girl who quickly became the focal point of both their worlds. However, as years passed, the couple became emotionally distant and Mac seemed to be around less and less. Even those close to Valerie began to notice a change, specifically when it came to her demeanor. The customary, happy-go-lucky nature of Val was fading. One day, as the marriage seemed to be slowly disintegrating, Valerie received a heartbreaking phone call. It was a woman claiming she had been having a long-time affair with her husband. And in case that wasn't enough bad news, the woman continued to give Valerie a long list of other women Mac had also had affairs with. When Valerie confronted Mac about his infidelities, he came clean and admitted he'd been unfaithful. Wanting to try to save their marriage, Valerie forgave him. But it wasn't long before Valerie discovered he'd cheated again, and this time she was considering getting a divorce. Although the couple made attempts to heal their marriage through counseling, the damage that had been done seemed unsurmountable. Instead, their marriage slowly fell apart. In 2014, after 17 years of marriage, Valerie filed for divorce, citing infidelity and discord or conflict of personalities. As it turned out, infidelity wasn't the only allegation Valerie made of her husband. According to divorce documents, Valerie claimed Mac had spent beyond his means, poorly managed the clinic, abused her, along with having numerous affairs. Using this behavior as evidence, Mac was to blame for the divorce. Valerie sought a larger share of the clinic and full custody of their eight-year-old daughter. In the end, despite Valerie's various claims, the couple was awarded joint custody of their daughter and Valerie was awarded the family home, while Mac was given possession of their vacation home. The court also ruled for Valerie to pay Mac a $1.25 million settlement 
for his share in the clinic, along with complete ownership over their pet crematorium business. After their divorce was finalized in 2016, Valerie moved into an upscale two-bedroom condo in the wealthy River Oaks area of Houston. It was then that the 48-year-old surprised everyone, including herself, when she quickly fell into another relationship with a man named Leon Jacob. The 39-year-old had just moved in next door with his mother, who just happened to be Valerie's divorce attorney. Leon had moved back in with his parents following a recent breakup and going bankrupt. In an audio diary, Valerie recounted her first impressions of Leon. It definitely hadn't been love at first sight for her. In fact, she hadn't been overly impressed with him in the slightest. She said, quote, He ran up to me and stuck his hand out and introduced himself. The cockiest mother effer I'd ever met in my life. You could tell he knew how beautiful he was. I was completely turned off immediately by his attitude. I was drawn to him, but disgusted at the same time. Leon, on the other hand, jumped at every opportunity to get closer to Valerie in any way he could, and soon their attraction became undeniable. Valerie admittedly was feeling lonely and felt it was time to have some fun again. Leon was young, handsome, and attentive. The two bonded over their recently failed relationships, and soon, Valerie and Leon had become much more than just friends. In her diary, Valerie documented the first time Leon touched her and how sparks flew. She said, He sat across from me, and we had some wine, and I had my feet out on the chair next to him. And out of the blue, he reached out and ran his finger up my left foot. And that was it. it. was like a movie moment. It was the most passionate, romantic moment in my life. Valerie was sure she had met the man of her dreams and wasted no time attempting to build her new life with him. By early 2017, she and Leon were living together in her condo, even though they'd only been together for a short eight weeks. The two appeared hopelessly in love, preparing meals together, combining their finances, even discussing the possibility of marriage. But despite Valerie's head-over-heels infatuation with Leon, her friends and family had a bad feeling about him. Not only did they think he was arrogant and self-involved, but they felt that he was more than just a little off. They were worried about Valerie and didn't hesitate to vocalize their opinions. Leon's prior relationships and work history didn't seem to quite match up with the image he'd been portraying of himself. Leon, too, had been previously married, and his marriage hadn't ended on good terms either. In the beginning, his relationship with his former wife, Annie, had been fun and spontaneous. They had met in 1996 while they were both enrolled at the University of Texas. But before long, the couple found themselves getting into massive arguments and intense screaming matches. Once, Leon even tossed Annie's clothing over their balcony. But their explosive arguments didn't stop the couple from getting married in December of 2001. After getting married, Annie and Leon took turns pursuing each of their own career aspirations, moving to the Caribbean island of Grenada while Leon attended medical school, and New York where Annie attended law school. Once Annie had completed her studies, the couple then moved to Houston, Texas, where Leon found a job working at Baylor Hospital. In 2009, after the birth of their first son, their fights began to escalate once more. According to Annie, Leon had become emotionally and mentally abusive towards her, along with becoming increasingly self-involved. So much so, 
it forced Annie to be responsible for paying all their bills, managing their household, and looking after their son. When they had another son together, the situation only worsened. Like many survivors of domestic violence, Annie was embarrassed to admit she was in an abusive relationship. But in 2013, she worked up the courage to break free and left Leon after 11 years of marriage. In divorce documents, Annie cited extreme and repeated mental cruelty. But Leon didn't like losing control. After Annie left him, he repeatedly called her and sent her myriad texts and emails that threatened to harm her. Eventually, Annie pressed charges against Leon for aggravated stalking and intimidation. In 2014, Leon made a deal and pleaded guilty to the lesser charge of attempted cyber harassment. He received probation and finally left Annie alone. But Leon's marriage wasn't the only thing he struggled to maintain. After graduating from medical school in 2005, Leon tried out several residency programs at different hospitals, but never received his medical license. In 2010, he was terminated from a residency program in Houston, and the following year, was fired from the surgical residency program at Northside Hospital in Youngstown, Ohio. According to hospital documents, Leon failed to meet the respectful, altruistic, ethical skills expected of a surgeon and was considered an immediate threat to patient safety. And although he appealed his termination, he lost the case. Then, two years later, in 2012, Leon was arrested for breaking and entering into the home of an administrator from the Ohio hospital. But like before, Leon made a deal after pleading guilty to criminal trespassing. Shortly after his divorce, Leon began dating a hotel manager he'd met in Pittsburgh named Megan Viricus. After only dating for a short time, Megan gave Leon a key to her apartment. Later, the couple decided to move to Houston together so Leon could attempt his seventh residency appointment and review his medical career. But neither his pursuit to save his career nor his relationship with Megan worked out. Megan ended their three-year relationship after filing charges of domestic violence against Leon. When police had been called to their home, Megan claimed Leon grabbed her face and injured her. Eventually, Megan dropped the assault charge, and in 2016, Leon moved in with his parents and filed for bankruptcy. In the bankruptcy papers, Leon listed his assets totaling a little over $60,000 and debts of almost $250,000. The divorced father of two owed thousands of dollars in unpaid childcare expenses as well as over $20,000 to a casino to cover gambling debts. And that's when he met Valerie. What Valerie didn't realize is that while Leon was living with her, Megan had filed charges against him for stalking in February of 2007. When he wasn't with Valerie, he was following Megan to work and sending her harassing messages online just as he had done to his ex-wife when their relationship ended. Somehow along the way, Valerie's ex-husband, Mac, managed to find out about Leon's troubling past and strictly forbid Valerie from allowing Leon anywhere near their daughter. And although Valerie agreed, she repeatedly broke their agreement. The breach of trust caused constant fighting between the two co-parents, and Mac eventually decided to try to get full custody of their daughter. In the meantime, Leon was fearful that if he was found guilty of stalking Megan, it would end his chances of ever getting a medical license once and for all. That's when he devised a plan. Leon decided 
he needed to hire someone that could make Megan disappear. The person he found to do the job turned out to be a former U.S. Army sergeant and Purple Heart recipient who went by the alias Zack. His payment to carry out the hit on Megan was $5,000, two Cartier watches, and a laptop. But after accepting the payment, Zack vanished, leaving Megan alive and well and the charges against Leon still pending. Instead of giving up on his failed plan, Leon decided to contact a bail bondsman named Michael Kubosh to help him track down his assassin. Michael had previously gotten Leon out of jail on one of his many stalking charges, and he had also put out a bond for Zack for a different incident. He was just the person who could help Leon locate Zack. After Michael located Zack, Zack called Leon and told him he'd found another hitman to take care of Megan, a man named Javier. During the call, Leon asked if the hitman would be willing to take care of another person, a man named Mac. He told Zack it was his girlfriend Valerie's ex that had been making their lives miserable. Zack let him know that Javier would be willing to do both jobs and set up a meeting for the four of them at a local Olive Garden to finalize their plans. On March 8, 2017, Leon, Valerie, Zach, and Javier all met at the Olive Garden restaurant as planned. Leon explained he wanted Megan kidnapped and scared to the point where she'd leave town and never come back. He also suggested Javier could run her off the road and threaten her until she was so terrified she'd leave him alone. He kept telling Javier he wanted Megan to disappear. I want her gone. I want her to go away forever. If she doesn't understand that, then you do what you have to do. His words seemed like a clear indication to both Zack and Javier that Leon wanted Megan killed. When Leon was finished talking about Megan, he turned the conversation to Valerie and the troubles they'd been having with Mac. Leon explained Mac was a really bad person and that he mistreated Valerie. He'd also been putting a lot of pressure on Valerie, attempting to get custody of their daughter. Valerie hadn't spoken much during the meeting, and so when Zack and Leon went outside for a cigarette, Javier confirmed with Valerie that she indeed wanted her ex-husband dead. Valerie said yes, she wanted Mac dead. She asked Javier, what other option do I have? He's going to take my daughter. She then described what kind of car Mac drove, where he could be found, where he lived, along with some pretty personal details. Javier told Valerie he'd make sure it looked like a carjacking or robbery gone wrong. But it would cost her and Leon an additional $10,000. Valerie agreed, but let him know she'd have to pay him in installments and would also give him some jewelry as well. Leon and Zack returned to the table, and in a short time later, Everyone said their goodbyes and headed out. The very next day, Javier called Leon and asked if he could stop by to share some good news. When he got to Valerie's condo, Valerie greeted him with a hug and kiss on the cheek. Javier told the couple, Mac was dead, and offered to show them a photo of Mac who'd been shot in the head. Both Valerie and Leon appeared squeamish and said no and followed up by giving Javier a partial payment. Leon then asked when Megan would be dealt with. So you're going to snatch her and bring her somewhere and talk to her. To which Javier replied, that's the plan. Leon even offered to help with Megan if needed. Later that same night, Photographs of a bound and terrified Megan were sent to Leon. Javier explained, 
Megan had been impossible to control and had to be killed. Leon said he didn't want to know anything else about it. It was done. He was finally free of Megan, and the stalking charges she had filed against him would be dropped. That was all he cared about. After midnight on March 10th, the Houston police arrived at Valerie's condo to inform her that her ex-husband, Mac, had been murdered. Sergeant Frank Quinn told Valerie, I'm afraid I have some bad news. Your ex-husband has been found with what turns out to be a fatality. It looks like it might have been a robbery gone wrong. Sorry I have to tell you. Leon and Valerie appeared to be shocked by the news, and Valerie hung her head and cried. Leon quickly offered up an alibi for where he and Valerie had been at the time of Mac's murder before the officers had even asked for one. What happened next stunned both Valerie and Leon. The police officers who had stopped by to break the news were suddenly arresting them for solicitation of capital murder. Valerie and Leon had no idea that Javier was actually an undercover police officer and a crucial part of a sting operation. When bail bondsman Michael Kubosh, who was also a city council member in Houston, had learned of Leon's plan to have Megan and Mac killed, he reached out to his contacts in the police force. Michael said, after listening to Leon's intentions, he felt like he was dealing with Satan himself. When the authorities found Zach, it didn't take much convincing to get him on board with the sting operation. All of the phone calls, visits, and even the Olive Garden meeting were recorded. The police believed they had an airtight case against Valerie and Leon. The investigators who planned the sting operation informed both Megan and Mac about their ex's scheme to have them killed, and the two agreed to be in the photos that depicted their murders. Valerie's ex-husband, Mac, posed for the pictures that made him look like he'd been killed during a carjacking gone wrong. Just like Javier, the undercover police officer had discussed with Valerie during the meeting at the Olive Garden. A fake bullet wound and pig's blood was placed on Mac's head, and then he slumped over the wheel of a car while several photos were taken that could be later shown to Leon and Valerie to confirm his death. For Megan's photos, she agreed to sit in a chair in a warehouse to make it look like she'd been kidnapped. Her hands and feet were zip-tied, and duct tape was placed over her mouth. The police left Megan this way for quite some time until she was sobbing and clearly distraught, so the photos would look more convincing. Before Valerie was taken into custody, the investigators let her get her daughter, who was asleep in her bedroom. Then her very much alive ex, Mac, who was waiting outside in the hallway, took her away. As Valerie was taken into custody, she reportedly confessed to officers she had hired a hitman. They asked her if she wanted Mac killed, and she nodded. When they told her, she had to speak up and not just nod. Valerie admitted, Yes, that's what I wanted. Three days later, Valerie was released on a $50,000 bond, but because of Leon's record, he was held without bond in the Harris County, Texas jail. Valerie's lawyer told the media Valerie hadn't known that Leon wanted their exes killed. If anything, she'd been drawn into the plot by Leon. Her lawyer said if Valerie had been involved in any way, it was definitely after the fact. Valerie was on no one's radar until the very end of the investigation. Worried about his safety, after Valerie's release, Mac obtained a protection order against Valerie. Mac's attorney explained in a written statement, with regards to Dr. McDaniel's release on bond, we are very concerned, given she has little to lose at this point. However, we are confident that the courts will continue 
to make the steps necessary to protect Mr. McDaniel, his daughter, and their family. Mac didn't want to talk to the media. His lawyer explained, Mr. McDaniel's focus is solely on the emotional well-being and physical safety of his daughter. He does not intend to speak publicly about the events, but he is thankful for the overwhelming support shown to him and his daughter. Valerie was in contact with a few friends, but she mainly stayed inside her condo and kept to herself. Everyone and everything she had ever loved had been stripped away. Valerie felt lost without Leon, but he was in jail and not going to be released anytime soon. Also, the judge ordered Valerie to not have any contact with her daughter. She had gone from sharing custody of her daughter with Mac to no longer being able to hug her or even hear her voice, which was the most devastating of all. Valerie's veterinarian license was also suspended because of the charges. The comfort Valerie had always found in helping people and caring for animals was gone. Valerie continued her audio diary during this dark time and recorded the following message. Hey, it's Valerie McDaniel, and it's March 15, 2017. I'm sitting outside, and I wanted to take some time and tell my story from the beginning. Try not to judge me. I hate the idea that everybody thinks I'm a monster. I didn't wake up one day and just say, Hey, I want to kill my ex-husband. I miss my daughter so much and I miss Leon. I want to talk to my daughter. I want to talk to Leon. I'm just not strong enough. I wish I were. I just can't do it. Try not to judge me. On March 25th, shortly after 10.45 a.m., a maintenance worker at the Willowick condo complex found a person lying on the pool deck. They called 911, and when the first responders arrived, it was readily apparent the person was deceased. By 4 p.m., investigators had confirmed it was Valerie McDaniel. Foul play was not suspected, as suicide notes that had never been publicly released were found in Valerie's apartment. There was little doubt that the once well-loved, happy mother and successful veterinarian jumped to her death from her seventh-story balcony. Valerie left her audio diary for a friend who lived in the building and also worked for a news outlet, so excerpts of her final 90-minute entry on March 25th were widely shared. In her final goodbye, Valerie claimed the investigators entrapped her and she had never really wanted to hurt Mac. Things with Leon had somehow snowballed and gotten out of control. Okay, March 25th. It's been a few days. I, I hope I don't repeat myself. Chad told me later that he was going to try to help me, that he would try to get Mac to leave me alone. And uh, at the same time, he was, he was working to try to get Megan to go back to Pittsburgh. It's weird, things, it wasn't like bam, 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 a progression. Things just gradually happened. There was talk all the time about this and it just normalized things. It's so strange, it's hard to explain, but talking about somebody trying to take Wyatt Mac and make him leave me alone just became like, oh, okay. It's, that's normal. <laughs> In retrospect, not so normal. And it just progressed. It's terrible. <laughs> and the one thing that I hope people know and I hope comes out is that at one point when I was talking to the officer, I said, can't you just talk to him and make him, change, make him be nice to me? And he cut me off real quickly and said, no, 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 no. He wasn't going to give me a chance to go to back down. So I would have, if he'd said that, I really would. 
I didn't want to hurt Mac. I never did. So sorry about everything. I don't want to hurt anyone. Just me. Okay. Thank you for listening. After Valerie's death, Liana alone faced two counts of solicitation of capital murder, to which he pled not guilty. Before his five-day trial began, in March of 2018, Leon gave a jailhouse interview. He said for legal reasons, he couldn't discuss the details of the case, but he denied any wrongdoing. Leon said, I'm innocent of these charges. I still maintain that throughout. I find them to be atrocious in manner because I'm not some monster that wanted my ex-girlfriend killed and her ex-husband. I'm a healer by nature. Leon also said he was shocked by Valerie's suicide. He asked for permission to attend her funeral, but his request was denied. He said she wanted me to be home with her and that, you know, we were going to get through this. It was devastating and shocking. But even though Leon found Valerie's death upsetting, he accepted no responsibility for what led her to take her life. He insisted that was a decision she made on her own. The information compiled by the police during the sting operation was compelling evidence against Leon at his trial. Not only was there the recordings made of all the phone calls and meetings that occurred during the operation, but there was also the in-depth testimony of Javier, the policeman and pretend hitman, Zach, the man who took the money for the hit and took off, and then helped source the new hitman, and Michael, the bail bondsman who contacted the police and foiled the plot. Also, Leon's exes did him no favors on the stand. For instance, Leon's ex-girlfriend Megan, who had filed the assault charges against him in January of 2017 and was one of the targets of the murder-for-hire plot, testified to the abuse she experienced during their relationship. She told the jury, after she left Leon, he still entered her home. She was terrified and hid in a closet. He screamed and yelled at her and threatened her life. He also stalked her at work, hiding in the bushes, watching her come and go. One evening, when he followed her home from work, she called 911. Leon cut her off and got out of the car, waving his hands and screaming, You know, just talk to me, just talk to me, I need to talk to you. Megan told the court, that less than 10 days after she had Leon arrested for the second time on stalking charges, the police contacted her and informed her that her life was in danger. She fled home to Pittsburgh, but she returned to Houston for the photo shoot that depicted her kidnapping to help police build a case against Leon. Megan's distressing account of her time bound and gagged in a warehouse, sobbing for the camera during the photo shoot, appeared to touch the hearts of the jury. Next, Valerie's ex-husband, Mac McDaniel, testified. He hadn't spoken publicly since the murder plot was uncovered, and his ex-wife Valerie had jumped to her death, so everyone was especially keen to hear his testimony. He explained how angry he had been when he learned Valerie was living with Leon. Mac said, he knew about Leon's criminal history and was worried about the safety of his daughter. Valerie had agreed not to see Leon when their daughter was over at the apartment, but she repeatedly broke that promise, which further strained their already tenuous relationship and caused him to seek full custody of their daughter. Like Megan, Mac also testified how he had learned about being targeted by Leon and his ex-wife in a murder-for-hire plot, and he shared how the police had asked him to stage his own death so a photograph could be taken to be shown to Leon and Valerie. Mac recalled having pig's blood poured on him and laying his head on the steering wheel of the car. He said it was unimaginable Valerie was involved 
or wanted him dead because she risked getting caught, leaving her child parentless. The jury also heard phone conversations between Leon and his mother, Golda Jacob, that occurred when he was incarcerated. Leon said to his mother, I told Dad I want Bradley Cooper to play me in the TV movie. And during another call, Leon mentioned he'd been in discussion with a former ABC 13 reporter who might be interested in writing a screenplay or book about his life. When his mother asked Leon why he'd been talking to reporters, he replied, Look her up. She's cute. She looks like Valerie did when she was younger. She's really hot. Actually, I know my Valerie's dead and I have to mourn her. But this one is cute. Leon's mom blamed her son for getting himself into the mess he was in and pointed out, You don't know when to shut up. You can't control yourself. The defense's star witness was Leon himself. He spent a long time on the stand, recounting his struggles during his medical career and his romantic relationships. Leon and his defense team tried to argue. The undercover officer pressured Leon and Valerie into making deadly decisions. Leon told the jury he never meant for anyone to get hurt. I felt a lot of pressure from them to sort of commit to this idea of killing people. And that was never my intent. And so I think that I took a much more aggressive tone with them about what I wanted to sort of say, hey, you know, you've been paid to do a job and this is what I want you to do. And I, this, all this idea of killing and, and hurting people is not okay with me. And um, even with that tone that I took, the police officer continued to bring up killing. I'm going to object to narrative. In late March of 2018, the jury reached a decision. Mr. Gidley, has the jury reached unanimous verdicts on both cases? Would you hand those verdicts to my bailiff? Would uh, the defendant please stand? As to cause number 154318, I mean, sorry, 1543813, State of Texas versus Leon Philip Jacob. Would the jury find the defendant Leon Philip Jacob guilty of solicitation of capital murder is charged in the indictment signed by the foreman of the jury. Cause number 1543812. Would the jury find the defendant Leon Philip Jacob guilty of solicitation of capital murder is charged in the indictment. All right, thank you. you may be seated. At Leon's sentencing hearing, his mother suggested her son's actions were the result of ongoing mental health issues. She testified Leon suffered from psychological problems and even spent two months in a mental health hospital several years earlier. Leon's mother told the jury her son was diagnosed with depression, bipolar, and a personality disorder, and this no doubt affected his decision-making. Leon's attorneys argued he thought he was hiring a private investigator to help him get back with Megan, not a hitman to kill her. According to the defense, Leon was a gentleman and he wanted to be a doctor and help people. Society would be better served if Leon received probation. But Leon's ex-wife Annie and ex-girlfriend Megan also testified during his sentencing hearing and they painted a much different picture of Leon. Annie recounted the years of mental and physical abuse she experienced while married to Leon. She shared a very disturbing incident that occurred when she was seven months pregnant with their second child and had discovered Leon was having an affair with a mutual friend of theirs. I don't recall what the fight was about. Um, I recall we were in the kitchen and he pushed my face into the counter. He threatened to punch me in the stomach. Um, he kicked my legs. I remember, I remember bringing my legs up 
as far as I could toward my chest to try to protect my stomach. So you were pregnant at the time? Yes. And you mentioned that he left bruising on your face, so he slammed your face hard enough on that counter that he actually left bruises? Yes. Did he ever threaten you? Yes. Okay, tell me about that. Um, he threatened that if I ever left, that he would kill me. He said that nobody would ever find my body because he was a doctor and he had access to chemicals that would, that would dissolve my body. He said if I ever left that he would find me and the children and take my children and I would never see them again. Leon's ex-girlfriend, Megan, also had the chance to tell the jury what her life had been like since March of 2017, when she learned Leon had wanted her killed and had sought out a hitman to do the job. I have no sense of trust. Um, just constantly afraid that something else is going to happen. I wanted um, to, I'm sorry. I have security throughout my home that I never had previously just because I'm afraid somebody's going to break in or something's going to happen, so. The jury just took over an hour to decide Leon's sentence. When it was read out loud in the courtroom on March 27, 2018, Leon stood very still and showed little emotion. In cause number 1543812, we the jury find, having found the defendant Leon Philip Jacob guilty of solicitation of capital murder, assess his punishment at confinement in the Institutional Division of the Texas Department of Criminal Justice for Life, assess a fine in the amount of $10,000. Cause number 1543813. We, the jury, having found the defendant Leon Philip Jacob guilty of solicitation of capital murder, assess his punishment at confinement in the Institutional Division of the Texas Department of Criminal Justice for Life, assess a fine in the amount of $10,000. Thank you. May be seated. Do you have anything to say, Mr. Jacob, before I pronounce these sentences? No, sir. Okay, it's the order of the court then, Mr. Jacob, that you having been found guilty of two cases of solicitation of capital murder be now delivered by the Sheriff of Harris County to the Director of the Institutional Division of the Texas Department of Criminal Justice, where on both cases you shall serve a life sentence and be fully credited with all the time that you've already served on this case. All right, thank you. In Texas, the victim impact statements are given after the sentence is handed down. After Leon learned he had received the maximum sentence possible for his crimes, he got to hear his victim's final thoughts. Megan took the stand one final time. You convinced me to leave my life I had in Pittsburgh, and you convinced me it was awful. You manipulated me to leave my family in the life I had. I believe everything happens for a reason. While you sit in jail, I hope you think of me. The girl that you called poor and uneducated. Because it's because of me, you will be in prison for life. You will never see your children grow up. You will not be a part of their lives, and they will be better for it. I think some part of me always knew that you would try to hurt me, and that you were always lying. The realization that your family also knew you were lying, made it be even harder to face this. You destroyed me financially and took away my sense of security, but you can get that no more. Enjoy life in prison. Leon's legal team appealed his conviction and requested a new trial. They argued use of people's initials in the indictment was confusing and misleading. The judge should have allowed audio experts to testify about the quality of the tapes, and the judge was clearly biased against their client. On August 29, 2019, the Court of Appeals upheld Leon's conviction and threw out his request for a new trial. Leon will be eligible for parole 
in 2047 when he is 69 years old. People who knew and loved Valerie McDaniel consider her one of Leon's many victims. Valerie's family, friends and co-workers, and the pet owners that frequented her clinic believe the Valerie they knew wouldn't have been involved in anything unkind or illegal. One of Valerie's regular clients said, she was shocked. There was no way Valerie could do something like this. There is something just not right about this. It does not add up. This is not the Dr. McDaniel that her clients and her employees and co-workers know and love. Valerie's former colleague, Dr. Brittany King, said she thought Leon used his predatory ways to somehow brainwash Valerie. At a candlelight vigil held outside Valerie's clinic shortly after her death, her colleagues, Dr. Ali and Dr. Powell, reminisced about the wonderful person and talented vet they had lost. That she didn't want conflict. She loved to make people happy, and she would try to do whatever she could to make them happy. And she was always willing to help somebody. If, if we ever went and said, hey, this person needs help, she would say, yeah, sure, let's do it. She was unselfish. Those are two of the most special things I remember. Uh, Valerie hired me straight out of vet school in uh, 01. <laughs> so she uh, really taught me a lot. And uh, she was not only a mentor, but a great, great friend of mine. And she was always willing to help me do whatever I needed to continue to follow my passion, which is veterinary medicine, be available for my family and my children. When I had children, she let me figure out whatever schedule I wanted. Whatever you want, Dr. Powell, you come in once a month. I just want you here. <laughs> and I did for a while. <laughs> but I remember when, when Valerie put my first dog to sleep. She was, uh, she was our first baby. We didn't have kids yet. And we stayed after work one day, and my husband came up with me, and the next day on my desk was a, a topiary <laughs> shaped like a dog. <laughs> and that's the kind of sweet, I just remember thinking, I never would have thought of this. This is so fabulous. And of course, I couldn't keep it alive, and it died, and I was heartbroken when it did. But then, shortly after that, she brought a framed picture into us. And it was from the star registry. And she had a star registered in my dog's name. Aww. And I still have it, and I need to find it, because I don't know where it is right now. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just that's the kind that. of person yeah. she is. Not the problem. So yeah, that's not the truth. <laughs> but I'll never forget it. I know I have it. And uh, those are the kind of thoughtful things that she would do for, for anyone in her life. Valerie's family were devastated by the turn of events that led to her death. Her longtime friend, Greg Holloway, said, What a tragic and terrible loss. If only we could have helped her from the beginning. Many of Valerie's friends suggested she would have never gotten involved in a murder plot without Leon's influence. Her dear friend Maggie said, It's something that happened to her. I truly believe that. This was not something that she would have ever done. Valerie's family also blamed Leon for her death. Her sister, Angela Hudson, stressed that falling under Leon's spell had been Valerie's downfall. If Valerie had never met Leon, she'd still be alive. He's a dangerous person. He's done a lot of harm to a lot of people, and he destroyed my sister's life. Samantha Netch, the Harris County District Attorney who helped put Leon behind bars, also believed he is a menace to society. She stated that Leon Jacob is a predator. He's scary. He wants what he wants, and he'll stop at nothing 
to get it. He has no problem using women. In fact, I think he enjoys it. I think that Valerie was in a very vulnerable position when she met Leon Jacob. I think he influenced her and brainwashed her. The district attorney felt it was important Leon received a sentence that sent the message that preying on women wouldn't be tolerated, and she hoped it would warn other women to think more carefully about the type of men they let into their lives. She said, Leon's life sentence showed the community that we're trying to keep the community safe and that people like him will not be around to terrorize other women and that women need to stand up and think about what relationship they're in and try to be strong and know that there's something better for them outside of that relationship. When Valerie's life crumbled around her and she ended her life, she left behind not only a successful career, but also a young daughter who she loved dearly. In her audio diary, Valerie spoke of her deep love for her daughter and how proud she was of her little girl. Valerie said, she's an extremely intelligent little girl with lovely manners and habits and a beautiful voice. She wakes me up in the morning singing. Although Valerie can no longer hear her daughter's voice, her daughter can still listen to her mother's voice and cherish the messages of love she left behind. Writing and research for this episode was by Christine Penhale. You should check out her website, The True Crime Files, for in-depth articles on missing persons and unsolved murders. We'll provide a link to her website in the show notes. I'd like to thank the following new Patreon supporters. Annika, Veronica S., Mia L., and Kelly P. And now I would like to introduce to you a new podcast called Scene of the Crime. Season 1 is all about the unsolved murders of Liberty German and Abigail Williams in Delphi, Indiana. So please, give it a listen. We'll also provide a link in the show notes that will take you there. Coming up in Season 1 of Scene of the Crime, Delphi. Why Libby? Why Abby? Why Delphi? Those girls loved each other. They were good friends. Neither one of them left each other's side. Both those girls are heroes. Before the words came out, I knew. I knew this was not good. As soon as I saw that, I knew something really bad happened. The detectives were like, this is not going to take that long. It's a small town. Somebody's going to say something, and this is all going to be over soon. The first couple of weeks, that's what it felt like, is that any day now. And then all of a sudden, a couple of weeks turned into a couple of months. My biggest fear is that whoever did this would do it again. I don't want that to happen to another family, because I'm telling you, it's hell. There was no logical reason anybody would have known those girls were be there that day. Child abduction murders in and of themselves are incredibly rare, but the abduction of two children at one time is even rarer. I've only seen a couple in my entire career. There is a lot of crime scene evidence. Uh, some of it is somewhat odd. Shortly after solving the Golden State Killer case, I did speak with an investigator that was involved with the Delphi murders. If you haven't walked across the bridge, you don't understand, right? Yeah, like that bridge but is scary. It is scary, and those railroad ties are rotted. That bridge scares me, so yeah. for somebody to be able to cross it, he's moving well enough that he has to know the bridge. He's done that before. 
It could have been any one of our kids. It could have been anyone at the bridge that day. It's hard for me to believe anybody could do something so bizarre and horrible and not feel compelled to tell somebody about it. Those two young girls were everybody's daughter. I refuse to accept evil as a standard bearer in American society. I believe we're one piece of the puzzle away from figuring out who this individual is. To the killer who may be in this room. Do you want to know what we know? And one day, you will. You've just listened to a short preview of Scene of the Crime Season 1, Delphi. Be sure to subscribe right now wherever you listen to podcasts. The Minds of Madness can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, and all other podcast platforms. Ad-free episodes of this show are available on Stitcher Premium. If you would like to support this show and get some extra perks, including extra content, early release, and ad-free episodes, go to patreon.com slash madnesspod. You can find our website by going to mindsofmadnesspodcast.com. To find us on Facebook and Instagram, search The Minds of Madness. And on Twitter, using the handle at MadnessPod. And finally, the closing track, Feel the Madness, is provided by The Funkors. You can find them at the record label's website by going to goldenerrorecords.com.au slash G-E. I hope they can't get in cause I'm not prepared to run I can feel the madness Someone's standing at my door I hope they can't get in cause